of God on this Christ the King Sunday, we're going to be looking at sort of the Christ the King passage from Jeremiah. Now, to kind of help give you an idea of what's going on in Jeremiah's day, uh, in all honesty, the kingdom of Judah was crumbling and struggling and falling apart. And uh, they had had uh, three kings in 11 years. Two of those kings only lasted three months each. The other one lasted 11 years, but none of them did a very good job. And the person that was becoming king probably right around this moment, he, he would last another 11 years, but his name was Zechariah. No, excuse me, Zedekiah. And uh, Zedekiah would be the last king of Israel from the tribe of David forever. I mean, even today, that he was the last one. And uh, so the kingdom in Judah was coming to an end. The kings of David, who was promised an eternal lineage of kings, was coming to an end. And Jeremiah is in the midst of this, and we're talking about 600 B.C., about 600 years before the arrival of Jesus. And, uh, and so this is Jeremiah sharing his prophetic word with the people of Israel. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. A little more literally in the Hebrew, this last phrase goes, the Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me? Come, Lord Jesus, help me lift you up today, for you are... You are the great King of David. You are the righteous branch. And you are the Lord, our righteousness. And so uh, I pray, continue to shepherd and lead us, your people, and do far above and beyond we could ask or imagine. I pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Now, t today, uh, I'm going to kind of have a heart-to-heart -heart with you guys a little bit to some degree about where our church is in the midst of all things. And I don't do this often, but we'll do this some today because it fits with what the scripture is saying to me. But, but to begin, I want to start with the idea, if you read the Bible for very long, 
you will begin to notice that the Bible cares an awful lot about leadership. The Bible cares an awful lot about quality, good leadership. And one of the phrases that it uses to refer to biblical leadership is the word shepherd. Now, how many of you know, have a neighbor that's a shepherd? Nobody? Come on, right? I mean, maybe a cattle herder, but you don't have to shepherd cattle a whole lot. You know, you can just fence them in and check on them once a day or every other day, and usually they're pretty good. But in the ancient world, shepherds took care especially of sheep. They were herders. They, they had to protect the sheep. They had to guide the sheep. They had to make sure they didn't lose any sheep. And so it was a perfect metaphor for healthy leadership was this vision of being a shepherd. And, and so that's, you know, you call me Pastor Chris. Well, the word pastor is sort of that shepherding word that this talks about. And so today, uh, you know, whenever a passage's first word is woe, you know it's going to be a challenging message, right? So woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. And so what Jeremiah is talking about is he's looking back at these last three kings. These were young guys. Most of these late kings were like in their 18 or 20. So we're talking like young guys who are put in charge of a whole nation. Two of them only lasted three months. After King Josiah died, he was kind of the last good king. The next guy to be raised up, uh, Pharaoh Necho, uh, I think was his name, took him to Egypt after three months. I mean, he blew it in three months, and he was gone. The next fellow lasted about 11 years and did okay until Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest emperor of the greatest empire of that day, came calling and took him away. And then the third king as well, uh, this young guy lasted again three months and made King Nebuchadnezzar mad, and he also disappeared quickly. And so they had over and over again a failure of leadership in a critical moment in their history. And as a result, the nation was falling apart. And so what were the kinds of things that these young leaders were doing that made them not good shepherds? To me, that's an important question, right? Well, we find the answer for that in the 22nd chapter. And also, to be honest, when he talks about shepherds, he's not just talking about the kings. If you read the rest of chapter 23, you'll notice he also includes the prophets. Both, both sides, the spiritual leaders and the government leaders, were all a mess. So what was the issue? The first issue that is clearly mentioned, and this is one of the prime issues of the whole Old Testament, is the issue of idolatry. If you look in chapter 22, starting about verse 8 and a half, it says this, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this great city of Jerusalem? And the answer will be, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and have worshipped and served other gods. You see, in this time in the ancient world, polytheism was the rule of the day. There were every 
neighborhood had their own local deity. Some were male deities, some were female deities. Israel was kind of the only one who said, nope, there is one God, and all these others are just rocks and stones and things made of wood, and they can't do anything. And so the first big sin of the Old Testament is the sin of not putting God first in your relationship. Because God is trying to move the world away from many gods and help people understand there aren't many. There's one, and it's me. You're to worship me. You're to be in covenant relationship with me. And that is the best thing you could ever do. And so in our lives today, we still wrestle with these similar issues in our lives, issues of idolatry. Whenever we put God at a lower level of priority in our lives, we are committing idolatry. If we put our country above God, we're committing idolatry. If we put our kids or our family above God, we are committing idolatry. Those are all good things. Patriotism's good family is good, but God must be first priority. Because only when God is first priority can we live our best life. Kind of everything else falls into place if you get your relationship with the one who made you in a healthy place. And these early leaders, uh, they didn't know how to do that. They didn't know how to help their their community and their nation with that and so that was one of their failings a second failing that jeremiah talks about several times in these two chapters is that good shepherds uphold justice and righteousness good shepherds try to be fair and try to do the right thing that god would want as often as possible and so we see these leaders also failed at this. One of the ways they failed at this is when they became king, they were more concerned about their palace than they were the people. It says in the 13th verse of chapter 22, Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. So one of these things these leaders did is they focused on their palace rather than the people, and they didn't pay the people to do the work to build their palace. They just conscripted them and said, hey, you're going to do this. And so one of the ways, if you're looking for good quality leaders, because we do live in a nation and world where we just vote for our lead, we have a tiny bit of say into who our leaders might be, right? And so we need to be looking for leaders that are good shepherds. And one of the qualities that you can look for is if these people are business people beforehand or if they're in some type of activity in the community, first look at how do they run their business? How do they treat people in their community? How do they do things? Do they do things in a way that blesses their community? What would their employees say about them? This is a great person to work for, or this is a lousy person to work for because we don't get any benefits and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right now, you know, I'm a big soccer fan, and Qatar is ha hosting the World Cup. And Qatar has been, or Qatar, they've been under pressure because of how they built their stadiums in a way that we wonder how much they valued those workers. 
right? So this, this is, it happened, you know, 2,600 years ago. It still happens today. So pick leaders that, that treat their employees like human beings. But that's not all. In verse 3, it goes on and talks even more. This is what the Lord says. Do, here it is again, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner or alien or migrant, the fatherless, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And then he goes on and talks about what a good king does in verse 16. It says, A good king defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? But your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain and shedding innocent blood and on oppression and extortion. All right? So when you're the most powerful person in the country, like a president or a king or whatever, it matters how you do justice and how you try to do the right thing for all people. And that's what he's pointing to here. You know, there's this tendency to corruption. There's the tendency to oppress. There's this tendency to extort, extort. There's a tendency to take advantage of people in unfair ways. And these are the kind of things that tripped up ancient kings of old. And so, for instance, uh, one of those areas, traditionally in the Old Testament, is care for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Those three are mentioned in the Old Testament over and over and over again. And foreigner means alien, foreigner means migrant. Ancient foreigners are people that don't look like you. They don't talk like you or me. They look a little different. They may have a different language, but they've come into the community. They've come because they can't make it wherever they're from. And they see an opportunity in Israel, and so they, they come from far away. They come to Israel. And when they come to Israel, God knows our propensity to say, you're not one of us. We're not going to give you a job. You're not one of us. You don't belong here. And so the Lord says, do no wrong or violence to folks like this. Now, I don't know about you. This sounds a lot like folks that, the good folks, that tend to come up to our border and they tend to sneak in, right? Now, not all the folks at the border. I know, yes, there's drugs at the border. There's other problems at the border that we've got to figure out a way forward. But, but it's these kind of people who are honest, genuine, good people. They just want a better life for their kids and their families. And God, over and over again in the Old Testament, says, do no wrong or violence to people like these. Do no wrong or violence to the orphan, the, fella, the young child that doesn't have a father. Do no wrong to the widow who can't look out for herself, the, the single mom or the single dad. True religion, I think maybe it's is it James that says it, true religion is to look after these kind of folks, the needy, the poor, the oppressed. And so when we talk about justice, oftentimes 
you know, Christian theologians, they argue about justice, right? And if it's a, if it's a conservative theologian, he'll say, you know, justice is ultimately biblical justice. And when he starts talking about biblical justice, he'll say things like, what justice really matters to God is, uh, is you know, don't murder people, don't commit adultery, don't rob, don't steal, don't covet, you know, all those things. Because if you do those things, you need to go to jail and serve your time and learn not to do those things anymore. And so, you know, on the conservative side, they'll say that's justice. But then on the more liberal side, they'll say, but there's also this component of social justice, where justice is about fairness for everybody and and making sure whether you're the least or the most important, you're the richest or the poorest, making sure everybody has an opportunity for fair play in our world. And if, to me, if you read the Old Testament for very long, you begin to see that justice for God, I think, is a blending of the healthiest and the best of both of these realities. It's not one or the other, but it's a blending of both sort of moral justice as well as a component of social justice, making sure our community, our nation, our world is a place where the weakest and the poorest and the most vulnerable can have an opportunity to find success, can have a safety net where they can make it and and have a place in the community, right? And, And so to me, it's a both and kind of deal. But these leaders had missed that. And so because of all those things, we find out that this is kind of the summary that's true. And the summary that Jeremiah shares as a word of the Lord is this, that bad shepherds scatter and disperse, and good shepherds and God are the ones that try to gather us all together. Bad shepherds scatter, but God and good shepherds gather. As he says in verse 3 of 23, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. And I will give them shepherds over them who will tend them so that they'll no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing. And so when you're looking for good shepherds, look for people who have type of quality that can bring us together rather than say, well, this group's on my side, but y'all aren't, so we're not going to like you. We're going to say you're the problem and we're the, you know, uh, good shepherds try to bring the whole nation, the whole community, bring us all together. And that's the quality that God tries to do in and through and among us too. And good shepherds do that kind of thing. Now, brothers and sisters, as I read this, I don't, I'm not just thinking, you know, like for our nation or governors or anything like that, but I think about us here in, in our community too. As I've been called to be your shepherd. And so for me, over this last you know, year, year and a half, I, I continue to have to ask, Lord, how am I doing? Am I being a good shepherd? You know, because I don't, I don't know about you. I know for me, I don't want the Lord to tell me one day, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done because you've scattered my people, right? I'd rather, much rather be 
closer to a good shepherd. And so as I reflect on where we are as a community, uh, I, I think we I got to just be honest with us a bit as we look to the days ahead. Can I do that for a minute? Um, y'all, our church is in a fragile place. It's in a fragile place. And, uh, and so I know we're all a bit antsy or concerned about it. A couple of years ago, uh, we could run budgets of $1.2, $1.3 million, you know, and have a big staff and all that sort of stuff. This last year, our budget was a little under a million dollars. And my hope and prayer is by the end of December, we'll be somewhere around $900,000, which means we'll be $100,000 behind the budget we had hoped to, to get. And that would be a pretty good year for us this year. The challenge is, is with, with the information that's come in through the stewardship campaign and otherwise, next year looks a whole lot leaner than this year. And, uh, and part of that is because we're an older, aging congregation, and so, you know, we're always going to lose 8, 10, 12 of us to go be with the Lord about every year. And not only are they great friends and good parts of the community, but, but they're also often generous with their giving. And, and so we're kind of in this fragile season. And then, of course, in the midst of all that, we're also trying to discern, do we stay United Methodist or do we become a different kind of Methodist? You know, what, what do we do with that? And, and some would say, well, you know, if we had just not, if we just didn't vote, then the problem would go away. But the problem with that, as a leader who tries to be just and fair, you know, I know I've come to realize, I think the leadership board realizes that if we didn't vote, what to do up or down then probably we would lose a good part of our community who said we want us we at least want to say we want a voice we want to see where the lord discerns us go and so because of that we have chosen the path of of doing a church vote uh in march or april sometime in there whenever the district superintendent tells us to do it and and with that vote the, to me, the, the challenging thing is the result really doesn't matter. Because either way, even then, you know, votes turn us into winners and losers. No matter how much I will tell you right now, don't let it turn you into a winner or a loser. That's just kind of what votes do. And, and because of that, no matter how the vote goes, people have already shared, you know, we're not sure we can stay with the church community after the vote if it goes this way or after it goes that way. And so I get that. But brothers and sisters, as your shepherd, I'm, I want to do my best. We've got to get together on this. We've got to get together. We can't scatter over this. This church um, has been doing great things for 170 years. As it shares here, God says, you know, I will bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and increase in number. And brothers and sisters, we are still a very fruitful community and I rejoice for that. We've got one of the best choirs in the whole county, maybe the whole region. 
Um, we've got a great mission team that works hard and does amazing things week in and week out for the gospel of Jesus, both here in our community, around the world, and we could talk about uh, Meals on Wheels, and we can talk about just all sorts of things that are going on here that grows disciples for Jesus. Uh, we can talk about how last year we had about four to six children in our children's ministry, and this year we have 20 plus about every week. How in our youth ministry last year after COVID, we had four to six youth, and how this year we've got 12 to 20, you know, most every week. I mean, there's a lot of good that happens in this community. And as your shepherd, um, I don't want to be on the watch where things fall apart. I don't want to be on the watch where Humpty Dumpty has a great fall and all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put it back together again. And I can tell you how we can make it through this. We can make it through this if we call this place home that you and many have called home for 15, 25, 45, 55 years. If you will stay a part of the family through this discernment process, no matter what, at least until we see what the Lord has on the other side. Because even if we only lose 10% of folks after the vote, that will probably still be 10% too many. And y'all, the reality is, is if we, if we can't raise the money to do the ministry and mission we'd like to do, well, that means we've got to make changes. And changes would come especially at the realm of staff. And we've got a great staff. Our staff works well together. They pray for each other. They work with each other. And we cover all the bases and all that. And, and I would hate to have to rearrange that. And part of rearranging staff also would include me and my family, right? I'm not out of that equation. And I and my family would have to make some tough choices about how we help you guys continue on, okay? And so that's the reality of kind of where we are in the midst of all this. Um, but I want to be a good shepherd and try to give you everything. You know, Jesus said, a house divided against itself will not stand. Now, he's saying it about Satan's kingdom, but I think it's, a tr I think it's true anywhere and everywhere. The healthiest places are, he are places that gather together, that keep us together and move forward together, even when we don't agree on everything. And that's my prayer for us. So, I give that to you and in, in saying just pray for pray for our future but I don't want to end on that sounds kind of like a bummer to end on right I don't want to end there this is Christ the King Sunday and here's the good news the good news is the days are coming declares the Lord when I will raise up for King David a righteous branch a king who will reign wisely who and who does justly and right in the land in his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which we will call him. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, who is this branch 
of King David? We know who it is. It's King Jesus. Amen? And he is Lord of all. He is the Lord. That is, he is one with the Father. He is our righteousness. And that is, he does the right thing every time. And he loves us and he cares for us. And he has great sovereignty and might to accomplish whatever he wills. And he is the one who makes us righteous in our broken places. And I give praise for that because there are no good shepherds except for Jesus. The rest of us are just mediocre frauds. And so that's the good news is Jesus is still in charge. In our small group, our guys group that we've been meeting this fall, we've been going through... Um, We've been going through Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And Experiencing God is probably one of the, the best studies that it's ever been done. Uh, this is probably my fourth or fifth time doing it. And in that study, we are reminded that in situations like this, God loves big assignments. God loves to part the Red Sea. He loves to bring his people out of Egypt. He loves for David to defeat Goliath. He loves to feed 5,000, 10,000 people on a little boy's lunch. He loves turning water into wine for a wedding. God loves to do big things where we see and say, no way, see what God has done. And that's who we need in this moment, amen? There's a big God who does big things. And in experiencing God, we get a glimpse of that. I'll give you two stories and then we'll go home. Henry Blackaby uh, started as a young pastor in the middle of Canada. And he had a really big church of 10 to 15 people. He had a really big church of 10 to 15 people. And uh, that church planted 30 congregations across the frontier of Canada in his ministry. Now, if that doesn't make your jaw drop, then I don't know what's wrong with you. A little congregation, 10 to 15 people, planted a church uh, of 30 congregations across the frontier of Canada in the 70s and 80s because they believed a big God can do big things, and God did. Then the second thing is, is when they would come to budget time, they would say, well, we know our budget, we can afford about $100,000. But we also know that the Lord has called us to do ministry in our community and plant churches in these other places. So we believe next year we need more like a budget of $200,000. Now, we don't know where the other $100,000 is going to come from, but we know King Jesus and our big God shows up to do big things. And we are going to go by faith with the $200,000 budget and see what the Lord does. And by the end of the year, Invariably, God would take his cattle on a thousand hills and raise money in unexpected places, and they would come in at $240,000. Brothers and sisters, the good news is that's the kind of God we seek, we serve, and we follow. And so in our season of prayer, let's follow him together and let him be our good shepherd. And let's trust that he will see us through this fragile time in such a way that, you know, I want Conyers to be a vital community congregation so that little Samuel 
can have a place to serve and to grow and to worship all his days. And a lot of kids like him. Amen? And we have a part in that. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one final challenge. This is the final challenge. Um, you see, the, the real challenge that we all know is, is kind of where we are with our debt, right? We're still paying for our 15-year-old building. Uh, we've still got a, a, a ways to go. And, and so this is something I, I'd ask you to wrestle with and pray about. Um, we're an older congregation, and you know, some, any of us could go see Jesus soon. Some of us, you feel a little closer than that than maybe I do, but, but we're all on our way, amen? And, and in retirement, if, if you've been blessed in retirement where you've got a nice fund of money, You've been able to go on trips. You've been able to do fun things and, and all that. I would just ask, could you prayerfully ask the Lord, Lord, could I give a gift with my estate after I'm gone that could help knock out this debt over here so that I can make sure that Conyers that has blessed me for my life will bless my children and grandchildren down through the ages. And if we just had 15 to 20 families say, you know what, we could give a gift of 50000 or 75000 or or 100000 of our estate, and, you know, our kids won't miss it too much. We can still give them a little bit we have left. If you could consider doing that, then over the next couple of years, we could probably knock out that debt eventually and free this church up to be all God wants us to be for the generations to come. Because if we can knock out that debt, uh, it will bring freedom where we... We can have smaller budgets and still do great things. Does that make sense? All right, it's time to go. So let's, let's be and look to our good shepherd. And let's see what he does. And let's pray for each other in our, uh, our call ahead. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, um. Heavenly Father, I praise you today for my brothers and sisters.